From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Emily Arnson. This is your news for Thursday, November 16th. An endangered species of native fish called the razorback sucker had a good year this year. At the Native Fish Nursery at the Matheson Wetlands Preserve in Moab, biologists counted 51 juveniles. This is a huge boost from previous years. Since the nursery opened in 2021, biologists have only seen four razorback suckers total until this fall. The jury's still out on why this was a better year than past years, other than the fact that, yes, it was a high flood year for the Colorado River, and so we had a lot of water coming into the Matheson Preserve. This is Linda Whittem, a programs manager with the Nature Conservancy, the organization that manages the wetlands. The Nature Conservancy partners with the Division of Wildlife Resources to run the nursery. The nursery functions like a kind of kiddie pool to protect native fish from invasive predators like bass and catfish while they're growing up. If the river is high enough in the spring, water flows into the wetlands through a screen that's just big enough for young native fish to swim through. The screen is about 15 feet tall, but this year the river was so high, water was flowing over the top of the screen. We were kind of concerned because there were so many fish that were coming in over land that we weren't sure how that would work out. Fortunately, a lot of them were the native fish that um, the project is intended for. There is certainly a lot of non-native fish as well. But the baby razorback suckers survived in the nursery this season, despite having to share the pond with non-native predators. When they get to fighting size, they get back out there and they can compete, you know, just as well as the non-native fish. So basically it's more an example of providing an opportunity for the youngsters to have a safe place to grow and thrive before they go back out into the mainstream again. The fish in the nursery get closed in for the summer and fall. In October, biologists open the gates again to let the grown-up fish back out to the river. Now the pond is almost completely drained, and biologists are just working to make sure that all the non-native species are out before they close the gates again for the winter. The DWR has identified the Matheson Wetlands Preserve as a rare and important ecosystem for native fish, especially as dams and droughts have decreased water levels along the Colorado River. The Matheson Preserve is the only significant wetland along the Colorado River in the state of Utah. We've got the Colorado River, and up above us in the town of Moab, we have the LaSalle Mountains, and that's the top of our watershed. So we have coming together water from two different watersheds that have created these wetlands. You can find more information about the native fish nursery at the Matheson Wetlands in today's show notes. A holistic practice called biodynamic farming is becoming popular in the Rocky Mountain West. In fact, Westminster, Colorado recently hosted the National Biodynamic Conference, an event that was dubbed the largest gathering of its kind in the country. KGNU's Benita Lee brings us this report from a farm in Boulder County that follows this particular type of holistic farming practice. Biodynamic agriculture has been around for a hundred years. It's said to have sparked movements like organic agriculture and regenerative agriculture. Biodynamic farming doesn't use pesticides or artificial chemical fertilizers. Husband and wife team Tim and Carrie Francis use biodynamic principles when working their land at Dharma's Garden, their five-acre farm in North Boulder. Our duck pond here on the left. This is kind of the heart of the farm. And um, they're mostly uh, good egg-laying breeds. 
and they also wander around and eat bugs, help us with some pest management, and they fertilize the pond water, which is part of the irrigation system. One of the key ideas of biodynamic agriculture is setting aside at least 10% of a farm for biodiversity to thrive. There's a lot of wildlife that comes through here. There was a herd of deer here just this morning. A fox the other day. Fox. Bear. A mama bear and her cubs. We saw a moose one time. Yes, there's a, a very lost moose. family of bobcats. We've seen two types of weasels here and mink. mink. And um, lots of bird life. So that's important part of um, tending to this land for us is to allow for the wildness here as much as the cultivated areas. According to Sheila Foster, executive director of the Biodynamic Demeter Alliance, biodynamic principles about agriculture were formed after World War I. It started when farmers in Europe were very concerned because a lot of the agriculture industry started taking chemicals that had been created as weapons in World War I, and they started using those as fertilizer on the fields. So the, the farmers got together and they went to this man, Rudolf Steiner, and they said, what do you think? Are you worried? And he said, yes, it's very concerning because if the food that's feeding the population doesn't have this sort of life force in it, then you're going to see humanity start to suffer the consequences of that. Steiner, who lived from 1861 to 1925, was trained in the sciences of his time, but sought to blend his knowledge with spirituality. If his name rings a bell, it's because Steiner started the Waldorf system of education based on a philosophy he called anthroposophy. Anthroposophy is the belief that the human mind can communicate with spiritual beings in the natural world. Steiner applied this idea to almost all aspects of life. If it sounds a bit out there, it also gets more intriguing. Biodynamics views a farm as a full organism. Another part of biodynamics is the use of special blends of ingredients that kind of sound like potions. The Francis's explain. So one of the main things we do is some um, seasonal biodynamic preparations. We'll get some cow manure and uh, some cow horns. We uh, fill the horn with this fresh cow manure. And at the time, it's kind of smelly and gross <laughs> as fresh cow manure sh should be. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and we bury it on the fall equinox because that's the time of the year when all the kind of energies are drawing down into the earth. You're placing this sacred manure and this sacred cow horn in the earth to sort of be immersed. And then it stays there over the winter season, which, uh, you know, Rudolf Steiner, the founder of biodynamic agriculture talks about the winter time being when the earth is actually most alive, most awake. Most and itself. Yeah. Most itself. And then in the summertime is sort of the dreaming when it's, um, yeah, it's most united cosmic, with the cosmos. The cosmic forces. Yeah. And then come springtime, we'll dig it up again. And by that time, it's now really good compost. And then what we'll do is we'll, we'll stir it in some water. And then we go out and we spread it on the land and it's these like little concentrated little concentrated drops. drops yeah of like compost goodness and microbial healthy microbial life but it's also you know like the intention of the community right because oftentimes we're stirring with other people we bring children into that and families and then we're spreading that all over the land 
it's actually really beautiful. So you're really connecting with the land and offering this kind of blessing. Carrie and Tim say they do notice a correlation between biodynamic practices and the life of their farm. I feel like there's a vibrancy here and, I don't know, a sweetness to the land and a vitality that feels enhanced by these biodynamic practices and by kind of seeing this land as a living being. And we often have people comment on the produce itself that comes from the garden. People often say that, oh my God, this is the best celery I've ever tasted. What do you do? (laughs) And I can't say that we really do anything differently from other um, kind of commercial farms, except the kind of attitude with which we tend the land Mm -hmm. and the love that's there. For KGNU, I'm Benita Lee. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, November 16th. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6 p.m. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.